Brothers and sisters, visitors, those following on live stream, welcome to this afternoon's worship service. It is a great blessing that we may be here to join in the worship of our triune God. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory with Deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30 in the Consistory Room. We inform you that the Free Reformed Church of Albany has extended a call to the Reverend R. Eicherboom from the Free Reformed Church of Byford. And this afternoon's worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. And before we commence, let us sing together from hymn 46 verse 4. Please rise and lift up your hearts to God. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together from Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a song that was quoted by the Apostle Peter in the Pentecost sermon, and he referred these verses to our Lord Jesus Christ, that he didn't abandon Christ's body to the grave, but that it would, and it would not see corruption, but it would come to life again. So let's sing Psalm 16, the verses 3 to 5, 3 and 5.
Let's now make a profession of our faith. Let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as it's put to music in hymn two.
Let's pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God, Father in heaven, we thank you that you have adopted us into your family and that we may be your children. We thank you that as our Father, that you care for us, that you provide for us, and that you look out for us. You do that during the course of our life, and you especially do that when we come near to the end of our life. So as we approach death, that you give us the greatest hope of all, the promise of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Thank you, Father, that you have defeated sin, that you've overcome death, that you've destroyed the devil. Thank you that through faith in you, that we may share in a glorious future that you've promised to your people. We come to you this afternoon and we pray that you would assist us with your Holy Spirit to grow in faith. Help us to reflect on the promises that you've extended to us. And help us to live out of this, Lord. I want to ask you that you would give us a vision so that we're able to live in anticipation of the future. That we keep the glorious future in store for us in mind. And that this may inform our lives today. Thank you that we can open your word to speak about the, the way in which Christ has overcome death. And the way he set us free from the power of sin. Please bless us through the proclamation of the gospel. We ask, Father, that you also forgive us for any sins that we've committed against you on this day. And that you show us mercy for Jesus' sake. Please hear us, we ask, in Christ's name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach to you from Lord's Day 16, where we summarize the biblical teaching that Jesus Christ has overcome death, that he also has the power to set us free from the power of sin. In connection with that, I'd like to first read with you from the scriptures from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58. So you can find that on page 1143 of your guest Bible. One Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to start reading at verse 35. Hear the word of the Lord. So in the first part of these, this chapter, the Apostle Paul, he speaks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then he also talks about how since Christ has been raised, we also will be raised. And then verse 35, there he continues, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, 
it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'll tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So far, the reading of God's word. Let's sing together. We'll sing from Psalm 29, the verses 2 and 4. Sorry, Psalm 49. Psalm 49, the verses 2 and 4.
This afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, his burial, and his descent into hell. We do so by looking at what, ch- what the church has summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 16 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find it on page 530 of your book of praise. So in Lord's Day 16, there the first question asks, why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, and the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all the sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 74, the verses 1 and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus, often one of the more difficult experiences of life is when a loved one passes away. We have to get to the stage where you say goodbye to each other. You've loved each other deeply for, for years and years. You know one another well. And there comes a time where where that comes to an end. And then the other part of it is, is when you die, then you always die from something. Now, oftentimes, a person is sick, and sometimes they're in a fair bit of pain. It's quite a difficult thing to, to watch your loved ones be in that position where they experience that pain, and they have to live through that. And there's nothing that you can do to make it different for them. And then at times, it gets really hard because they lose their memory. Or sometimes they, they say and do things that are really out of character for them for the rest of their lives. And yet, you know, it also happens that when you walk that journey with someone, that's some of the, the richest time of life. If you've loved each other well, when the time comes near for them to leave, then many times the Lord gives these precious moments that are really moving. The preacher talks about the, this truth, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Well, you have that. As, as the time comes near, you look back on life. You reflect on the life that you've lived together. And there's, there's sadness, but there's also the joys. Sometimes you confess sins to each other. 
And you find this, this deep peace together, peace in the Lord, who he is and what he's done. Well, it's amazing to hear our loved ones speak of the grace of God. It's amazing to, to share with them these very precious moments near the end. That even when death comes, then, then the experience is tempered for us. Because we believe in the resurrection of the body. And we believe in the life everlasting. We know that when our loved ones die, then they go home to be with the Lord. That makes a profoundly different experience for those who die in the Lord. I remember having that conversation with a couple of people, some people who were new to our church. They had joined our church and they lived with us for a bunch of years. And then, and then they got to see what it really looked like. We had one of the, the members of our congregation who was a close friend who passed away. And for this, for this woman to, to see it, she said it was a radically different experience, grieving death before she became a Christian than grieving the death of someone after she'd become a Christian. It's really true what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, we do not have to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We are those who receive great comfort from the Lord. This afternoon we're going to reflect a little bit about that. And to appreciate what God's done for us, it's really helpful to to see what he's done in Christ. Who is Christ and how did Christ die? And what did that mean for him? And especially we're going to look at it in two parts. We're going to consider in the first place what happened to his body, and then secondly what happened to his soul. And then we're going to look at the same thing for us, what happens to our body, and then also what happens to our soul and death. And so I preach God's word to you with this theme, Christ has overcome death. We'll see in the first place what will happen to your body, and then secondly, what will happen to your soul. As we were saying a moment ago, usually when, when a loved one dies, then the greatest comfort we have is, is we know that they go home to be with the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he spoke of what happened to his spirit at the end of his life. Luke 23, verse 43, he was talking to, um, to, the, uh, to the criminal on the cross, and he said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. I'm going up into paradise, and you're going to be with me. And a few verses later, he said that. So he he breathed his last, and then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So his soul went up into heaven to be with his father. And that's where he met the criminal on the cross. But then his body. What happened to his body? It was back in paradise, God told Adam, he warned him, he said, whatever you do, Adam, he says, don't sin. Because if you sin, then you're going to bear the curse of sin. You will die. And then when Adam actually sinned, then he, he told him the curse. Genesis 3.19, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And that's the great curse that comes on us. We are made of dust. When he first formed us, God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground now he says, since you reject me, since you rebel against me, you're going to go back to the state that you were in. You're going to go back to dust. But it's quite striking. Even though that's true, the way we treat the body of a loved one after they've died, it shows that also in that aspect, we hold on to the hope of the resurrection. If you maybe just start with the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. After Christ died, do you remember what happened to his body? There was this man from the Jewish council, Joseph of Arimathea. 
and he approached Pontius Pilate and he asked him for Jesus' body. And we're told it was back in Luke 23 verse 1 that he was part of the church leadership that had actually decided to execute Christ. We know a little later in the chapter that, that he was opposed to that. He didn't agree with that decision of the Jewish council. And so after Jesus died, then he went to Pilate and he asked for his body. Well, can you imagine the kind of pressure that man must have faced? They all hated Christ. They wanted to get rid of him. And he's one of the lone voices who stood up for the Lord Jesus. And now he stood up against that kind of pressure and he went off and he asked for the body of Jesus. And he buried him. He took that body and he put him in his own tomb. And a little later we're told that the women came to the tomb because they wanted to anoint the body with spices. Well, why did God put it into this man's heart to do this? It's because the body wasn't going to stay there forever. Jesus' body is important in that it was going to be raised back to life. After three days, he was going to come back to life again. That's something that the Apostle Peter, he spoke about that in the Pentecost sermon. Acts 2.25, he quotes Psalm 16. He says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. God didn't let Jesus go back to dust because he raised him after a few days. It's quite striking, Romans 6 verse 5, we're told that as we share in Christ's death, so we will also share in his resurrection. What happened to the Lord Jesus is a picture of what happens to us. When our loved ones die, when we put their body into the grave, that we believe that that's not the end. They're not condemned to, to nothingness. That body's not going to stay there forever. Just as Christ's body came out of the grave, one day our bodies also will be raised to new life. We read together from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53, the Apostle Paul says that this mortal body must put on immortality. It may decay, it may turn to dust, but one day it's going to be remade again. That's quite striking. We read this passage from 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul, he uses this image from agriculture to describe what's going to happen to our bodies. You know, that's one of the, the common things the Lord does in the scriptures. He, he often uses these agricultural images. Well, this time he uses that of a seed. He says, your body is, is like a seed, maybe, maybe wheat or, or some other kernel. And you plant that body into the ground and it dies it's after the seed is in the ground for a while that it comes back to life. And then God makes the point, he says, and when it comes to life, it's not the seed that it used to be, it's not the body it used to be, but it's a new body that comes back to life. It is sown in weakness. It is sown in dishonor. But it's raised in glory. And it's raised in power. And then that image of, of a seed and the plant, it's really... It's quite instructive if you actually think about that. You take a seed, it's a little brown or black kernel, and you throw that into the ground. It doesn't look like much. But you give it some time, and you have this rose bush, or you have a wisteria, you have an apple tree, or you have a jarra tree that grows up out of it. Well, God's saying, today, your body's not much. 
He compares it to, to a little apple seed. But one day, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be immortal. It's going to be spiritual. And so when we, when we lay the body to rest, we do that in hope of what's coming, in the hope of the resurrection. Well, it has serious implications for how we treat the body of loved ones, brothers and sisters. You know, we live in a society that has rejected God, and increasingly, that rejection of God that's getting worked out in the worldview of the people of the time in which we live. And one of the ways that gets played out is also in how people treat the bodies of their loved ones when they die. One of the more common practices today is the practice of cremation that you, you request your body to be burned. Instead of being buried, you, you get your body to be burned, and then you take your ashes. You can decide if you want to bury your ashes, or maybe you just want to scatter them in some other place. There's lots of arguments people have for that, that this is a, a positive thing. You know, they say this is good because that way you don't use up so much land for cemeteries, or it's cheaper, or it's a more simple process. Sometimes people talk about the fact that they can take their loved one and they can wait until they die and then they can both be buried in the same place. What's really interesting, back in the previous century when cremation was first becoming popular, and the reason some people did it was an act of defiance against God. You say there's a resurrection? You say that one day my body's going to be back, come back to life? Well, I'll burn my body. And I'll get my ashes scattered over the ocean and see if you can put that together again. Well, since then, it's a little different. It was until the 1960s that the Roman Catholic Church forbade cremation. In the 60s, it became acceptable. It's not just in the Roman Catholic Church, but also in many Protestant churches quite interesting, predominantly in the liberal Protestant churches, that cremation became possible. Well, here in Australia, the numbers apparently are that in 2019, that's the last year they have the numbers for this, 65% of people in Australia were cremated. So there's a minority of people in our society who are still buried. We have to ask the question, do you still believe in the resurrection? The question is, how can you give the best testimony of what you believe happens to you after you die? The reason we as Christians have always buried our dead is because we understand that one day there will be a resurrection. We understand the imagery of scripture. You bury the body, you bury the seed. And one day, God's going to raise that back to life, and he's going to give you a new body. As Christ was raised to life, so your body is going to come back to life. This has always been the conviction of the people of God. It was already Job. Job had his body was, was covered in sores. It was so painful. And in the midst of that, he made this profound confession of faith that he believed in the resurrection. Job 19.25, For I know that my Redeemer lives... And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. 
whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him, and not another. How my heart faints within me. You know, brothers and sisters, as our society rejects the Lord, as it loses sight of, of also the teaching of the resurrection, that we can give a powerful testimony to the people around us that we believe that one day we're going to come back to life. You know, in this regard, you may be interested to know that in virtually every cemetery, the bodies are buried with the feet pointing to the east. And the reason for that is because of Matthew 24, 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. As those who anticipate the resurrection, the return of Jesus Christ on the clouds of heaven, the bodies are planted with the feet to the east so that when Christ comes in the east, that their bodies will rise up and they'll immediately be facing their Lord who comes in the clouds of heaven. Well, do you understand then how far our culture has moved away from the Lord? You know, as God's people, it's really important, it's beautiful that we bury our dead as a sign that we believe in the resurrection of the body. But then what gives us a great deal of comfort at the death of our, our loved ones is not just that one day their bodies are going to be raised to life. It's especially the promise that when we die, that we go home to be with the Lord. Luke 23, 46, we just mentioned a moment ago, our Lord Jesus Christ, he said to his father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He didn't go down into Sheol or into nothingness when he died, but he went to his father. He committed his spirit into the, to the hands of his father. The great comfort of the scriptures is that those who die in faith will immediately also be taken up into the presence of the father. It's back in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, that the preacher encourages the youth to remember the creator in the days of their youth, for he says, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And we need to be prepared that one day we come into the presence of our father. And it's quite striking, we're not the only ones who are preparing for that day. The Bible tells us that our Lord Jesus is also preparing for that day. John 14, verse 2, Christ comforts his disciples. He's about to leave them. They're quite distressed about that. And then he said to them, he says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Yes, it's true I'm going to leave you, but you need to understand that I'm leaving to prepare a place for you. I'm getting... You're ready. I'm getting a place ready for you in the new heaven, or together with my Father in the new heaven and earth. If you really think about that, brothers and sisters, then it's quite a thought. Those who have died and gone up to heaven are with the Lord. And the, the sense around the biblical passages, when you, when you read through the scriptures and you read about this event happening, then the sense in the scriptures is that it often has a sense of a homecoming. When you're in this world, then you are strangers and sojourners. You're living as foreigners in a foreign country. 
Hebrews 11, for example, it, it talks about, Abram talks about Abraham, you know, he's on this earth, he's longing for the city, and while he lives here, he's, he's a stranger and a sojourner. And it's the same for Noah, and it's the same for the others. But when you die, then you get to go home. You get to go to, to a place of safety, to a place of comfort, to, to your home. That's the language also of Lazarus and the rich man, Luke 16. While the rich man lived in wealth and luxury on earth, then he, he had everything he could possibly want, and, and Lazarus, the poor man, he lived in abject poverty. But then in, after he died, they were told that, that the rich man was in torment. But Lazarus, he was at Abram's side, and he was comforted at Abram's side. And that's, that's the sense that the scripture really impresses on us. You get to go home. You get to be with God. You get to be in the presence of God and his people. You get to receive the great comfort of God after a life of suffering. But they also know that, brothers and sisters, sometimes it happens that also for God's people, when you come near to the end of your life, that it can still be a difficult process. You know that you're going home. But the hard thing is that before you get there, that there is this, this time of judgment. You know, during the course of our lives, sometimes we commit certain sin. And on one level, we know it. We know that we're sinning. But on another level, we don't deal with that. We don't acknowledge it. We don't confess it. We don't really flee from it. But it's when you come to the end that you're going to meet God. You know, when you're here, you can think, well, later, you know, I'll change. You know, I intend to change, and I'm going to change, and I will change, just maybe later. But when the end comes, then there is no later. Then you're going to stand before your judge, and he's going to pass judgment on everything that you've ever done. It's at that time that it can be deeply confronting for some people. Do you know how they deal with that in the Roman Catholic Church? They believe in purgatory. According to the Catholic Catechism, purgatory is the state of those who die in God's friendship, assured of their eternal salvation, but who still have need of purification to enter into the happiness of heaven. Really what they believe is they believe that during the course of your life you're sanctified, but they say, you know, it's possible that you're not fully sanctified by the time you die, and so you need a process of sanctification. So you go to purgatory, where you go through the cleansing fires, and you do that for a period of time before you're fully sanctified, and you go to the Lord to be with the Lord in heaven. And so in order to help a loved one get out of purgatory and to get into heaven sooner, the family members and the friends of a dead relative, they may offer prayers, they may request masses, or they can give alms, or they can, can buy indulgences. But you know, there's, there's a few key problems with this, brothers and sisters. One of the foundational things is that the Bible doesn't tell us this. You know, the key text that they often refer to is, is in 2 Maccabees. It's one of the apocryphal books, 2 Maccabees 12, verses 39 to 45. It's a passage where we're told about the battle, in a battle, there are certain Jews 
and they die in this battle. And then afterwards, they find that, that these Jews had this idol, the idol of Jamnia, with them. And so they're guilty of idolatry. And so what do they, they say? Well, they say they're going to pray for them and take a collection that they'll send to Jerusalem to have an offering for sin sacrificed for them to release this, these men from their sins. Well, that's, that's not biblical, brothers and sisters. The Bible doesn't tell us these things. It doesn't teach us to offer prayers for the dead or to offer sacrifices for the dead. And the next problem is that this passage doesn't actually refer to purgatory. It doesn't say or suggest that these dead soldiers are in some kind of intermediate state before they go on from there to going into heaven. But you know, the the core problem with purgatory is that it undermines the atoning work of our Lord Jesus. The question is, on what basis do we enter into heaven? Is it on the basis of our sanctification? Do we enter God's presence because we now live a holy life? Or maybe through the fires of purgatory that we are cleansed from our remaining sins and we are holy? It's not our sanctification that leads us into God's presence. It is our justification. We are justified as a free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, and if you confess him as your savior, then all your sins are covered. And there's nothing you need to add to that. The Bible says, Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ Jesus. Or back in Romans 5 verse 1, it talks about how we're justified as a gift of God's grace, and we have peace with God because of that justification. And so, what the Roman Catholics have done is they've confused justification and sanctification. But the point of the scriptures is that Christ atones for our sins completely by his death on the cross. It's actually a very serious matter if, if you suggest that in some way we have to atone for our sins, either by good works done in this world or in the afterworld. Because if you say that, then you undermine the sacrifice and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the truth is, brothers and sisters, that you're justified as a free gift of grace. The way to receive purification before you die is to believe in the Lord Jesus. It's when you see that you have sinned and when you confess those sins to God. If you're honest about it, then there is no condemnation. Then all those sins have been removed from you. If you stand before the throne of grace at the end of time, brothers and sisters, you're getting close and you're being attacked because you're not sure where you stand before God. Maybe that's the, the great opportunity for you to be deeply honest about your life. And if your conscience is accusing you for some things that you haven't confessed to God, then now's the time. You confess that. You ask for grace. You acknowledge that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You trust that for Christ's sake, God will forgive you. That's the, the other great message that we confess here in Lord's Day 16. The Lord Jesus Christ, he suffered the agony of hell 
He descended into hell. He bore the curse that we deserve so that he might free us from that curse so that we don't have to bear it ourselves. And so the greatest message of the gospel is that God grants his grace as a free gift to all those who believe in him and who confess their sins. And so the important thing, brothers and sisters, especially as you, put, as you approach death, is that you keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. If you know Christ, then death has nothing on you. Then you know that he's defeated the curse of death. One day you will be raised, and you will be with him. You'll be given a glorified body. You'll be with him in a new heaven and earth. And if you keep your eyes focused on Christ, then, then your sins, they have nothing on you either. Christ has defeated sin. He's overcome it through his death on the cross. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, sin, is your victory? Well, thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died, and he secured your eternal salvation. And so through faith in him, you belong. He's gone ahead of you to prepare a place for you. And one day, he will call you back to be with him. Let's remember the promises of the gospel. Let's reflect that in our practices. And let's receive the comfort of the Lord in our lives before him. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 74, the verses 1 and 3. Let's now pray the prayer that Christ our Lord taught us. 
Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in heaven so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord in a moment. The collection will be taken for the work in P&G. It will be taken from you at the door. And at this time, I invite you to rise, and we're going to sing together from hymn 76, the verses 1 through 4.
receive God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.